Um, I, uh, I don't know what your experience of um, religion or church or faith or God is, if it's good or bad or just indifferent. Um, and I suppose if, you're, if you are here for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, then you're particularly welcome. And I hope you do feel welcome. Um, my grandfather was one of the founders of the church that I was immersed in as a child. And he set it up because no other church was acceptable. Um, and because he was family, church wasn't just a kind of painful hour on a Sunday. Uh, it was kind of everywhere and everything. So every aspect of, of my life was kind of affected by this church and what it stood for. And uh, a lot of the deep scars that I still have sort of stem from ideas that God was kind of wrath and anger, that sin was the favorite word, that um, there were eternal repercussions on your shoulders, that if you made one wrong move too far in any second, you would spend forever in fire. And um, it might not surprise you to know then that by the time I was 12, I was really struggling with um, depression and anxiety, uh, self-harming, all that kind of stuff, insomnia, the usual. Um, I would lie awake at night thinking of every bad thing I'd ever done running over and over and over in my head, and I would say sorry over and over. It was just in a guilt and just fog. And I um, would be saying sorry, but of course knowing that God was an ogre, which is what I'd kind of, the impression I'd sort of picked up from it all. And of course, at this point, you might wonder why on earth I'm still involved in church in any way. I think I possibly have as good a reason as anyone to sort of run a mile from this thing. Um, but I kept having a whisper that this wasn't quite how it was. And I suppose like Alice down the rabbit hole, I just followed the whisper. And I don't really know how else to describe it other than it, it sort of was like, if you see um, a blinking light through a sea fog, or if you're sitting out in the garden in the summer and you, hear, you think you can hear music on the breeze, but you're not sure, it's something like that. It could be your imagination. And I suppose it was the Holy Spirit was whispering to me that there was more, that there was love, that God wasn't angry and he wasn't mental. There was something else. Um, but the problem was there were two voices. There wasn't just the whisper. There was also the angry God. And I just could not tell which one was real. The indoctrination was too deep. And so I went on a very long journey where I just completely distanced myself from um, any sort of religious dogma or ritual. I, um, I couldn't really pray in the sort of, you know, the sense we know it for a long time or even read a Bible because I just heard it in this wrathful voice. And I just kept searching and searching and searching. And then one day I found God. And um, it turned out the whisper was the right voice, that he was love and he was compassion and, and he was grace. And one of the things that, um, that Pete has asked me to speak about today is, is how we can share our faith with others, how we can tell others about our faith. And to be honest, for a long time, I would have just thought, why would I want to do that? If I mention the word Christianity, people will think I'm dumb, I judge, I'm controlling, I manipulate, all the things I've sort of seen. And I sometimes am ashamed to be associated with all of this and wonder what people will think. Um, but then there's Jesus, <laughs> and I'm not ashamed of him. He's unbelievable. No, he is believable. That's the key thing. <laughs> um, but there is 
he is just consumed by love and compassion, and I want to tell people about that. And there's, um, it's been suggested there's three good reasons to tell others. One is because Jesus asked us to. He asked us to tell people about him. And the second reason is because um, perhaps you might look around and see people who are searching for something or struggling with things. Maybe they're struggling with guilt or fear of death or where their life fits into this grand universe. Maybe they're um, struggling with religion. And I suppose it would be like finding something really precious and then not telling anyone, just keeping it to yourself. Like finding an independent coffee shop in Westfield Shopping Centre in London. Mrs. Brown's tea room with scones and a turf fire <laughs> instead of Starbucks. And, and I do think there is spiritual hunger everywhere, even if people say there's not. I think if you listen to what people are saying, if you listen to songs that are sung, you can hear it, that there's a hunger, there's a searching for something. And of course, that brings us to the third reason, which is that the gospel means good news. And it's, it's wonderful news that there's a God who loves us. And there are many ways that we can tell others. We've heard a few of them already. You could, I suppose, buy a sandwich board and write on it, the end is nigh, <laughs> repent ye. Um, have you ever noticed those are always in red? Why is that? It's very sinister. It's probably the blood of some liberal who's been too vocal about gender equality. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really struggle with kind of loud noises and kind of being forced to do things I don't like for obvious reasons. And so sometimes if I'm on, in, in town or whatever and I hear someone screeching into a microphone and you pick up the word hell or death, I just instantly want to walk the other way because I feel very invaded. I think it's insensitive and it, it's so negative as well. Um, when I was a teenager, I decided to try a tactic to convert the lost, which I like to call snog to convert. You know, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't an official Christian ministry, obviously. It wasn't, you know, condoned by the church. You know, you know making out is a very good place to talk about your faith. I'm joking, it wasn't really that official. They think there was just this one boy, and he was called Patrick. And he was really hot. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, when would be a good time to tell him I'm concerned for his soul? Obviously, I should have been concerned for my own. Um, and so I thought, you know, snogging, you know, that's a perfect opportunity. I, I got distracted, you know, it just didn't, conversation didn't quite go the way I wanted it to. Um, in the book of Matthew, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I love actually that he calls us the light of the world because we often sing about him being the light of the world, but he says we are as well. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And so Jesus is telling us here that we can make a difference in the world. And I suppose to make a difference, we have to be different. And in a lot of circles, being different only goes as far as you don't smoke and you don't enjoy snogging. But I like to think that perhaps there's something much more meaningful to it than that, something that affects the whole community. Perhaps we love our enemies. Perhaps we have integrity. Perhaps we're kind. Perhaps we're not obsessed with money or status. We're generous. We care about justice. We bring light to dark places and salt to rotten or bland things. And I have seen incredible examples of people who have brought salt and light. And you know, before I said that, I sometimes am ashamed to be associated with this. But I'm really challenged by the fact that I even say that phrase because there are so many incredible people doing incredible things who would call themselves Christians, who are affiliated 
with Christianity. And for me to say I'm ashamed of that is a real slap in the face. And actually, they're probably far better people than I could ever hope to be. I was reading somewhere recently that if you just focus on all the negative aspects of Christianity, you just completely ignore all the incredible people we've heard about that we should be proud to affiliate ourselves with, not least, of course, Jesus. You know, there's many, many, many people around the world doing beautiful things in God's name. There's, of course, all the ones we've heard about, Mother Teresa, William Wilberforce, Martin Luther King Jr., but there's also individuals, people that you will never hear about who are doing things in the name of God, who would call themselves Christians. Um, my parents-in-law, Steve's parents, they followed a whisper that they felt from God, and they opened their home to alcoholics, prostitutes, children who needed to be adopted, including Steve, and children, they would take them who no other church youth group would take, the really naughty ones who were always burning things and heckling speakers. They did, they took them to see Nicky Cruz, this really famous speaker, you might have heard of him, who was famous for the fact he was this big gang leader in New York. But when they went to see him, he was like 80, and he was not what they were expecting. And they heckled him and had to be made to leave the auditorium. This is like in Dublin Stadium or something. But they, they followed this whisper they felt, and they, they looked after these people. They brought them into their own home. They didn't set up a center removed. They had them in their own bedrooms, in their own dining table, in their own sitting room. And they did it in God's name because they felt a whisper. There were um, two men who planted a bomb in the Boston Marathon. I think it's a few years ago now. I'm sure you heard about it. And one of them was killed in the, in the police chase that followed. And his family really struggled to find a cemetery that would bury him. And a Yale Divinity School graduate called Paul offered the family a burial plot that he owned next to his own mother's grave. And he said, the only condition is that I do it in memory of my mother who taught Sunday school for 40 years and taught me to love thine enemy. So he followed a whisper that he heard my, um, my sister-in-law and her husband, Steve's sister, the original Naomi Trenier, they set up and run a small charity on a remote island in Indonesia that focuses on development. So they help the local people with education and healthcare, gender equality, all these things. And it comes at a sacrifice. They see us once every four years currently. There's all sort of, they're very kind of remote existence and it does come at a cost, although they love it but they followed a whisper. They felt God calling them to something, and they followed it, and they do it in God's name. They do it because of their faith in Jesus. Um, I think that there are whispers for all of us, and I think if you don't have one yet, then start listening, because I think God has definitely got a whisper for every one of us. Um, I know that I have been massively impacted by the whispers that people followed. Many of them, um, not least someone who had a whisper to write a book called God on Mute. You've probably, it's probably mandatory reading, actually, if you come here. But um, it, it massively impacted my life. And there are many other books that have impacted my life as well. That was a particular turning point. And I think if you have a whisper for something, then I would really encourage you to follow it. And like I said, if you don't have one yet, just seriously start listening. There's definitely one. I read this recently. Sometimes I would like to ask God why he allows poverty, suffering, and injustice when he could do something about it. But I'm afraid he would ask me the same question. 
we can do something. So let's be salt and light and, and follow our whispers. I think as well as, um, as actions, our words matter. And there's a, a huge, yes, words. There's a huge difference between uh, pressure and persuasion. I know I run a mile if someone tries to pressure me into doing anything. Um, and despite what reality TV might try to tell you, it is possible to be a Christian and to be intelligent. We can discuss, we can converse, we can have conversations that revolve around each other, not just ourselves and our own opinions. I've never heard of anyone who decided to become a Christian because of the screaming arguments where we were violently disagreeing and they were being condescended and they suddenly just stopped and said, oh, you're completely right, I'll better become just like you. I just don't think it works like that. I know that the best conversations I've had have been where I've been able to sit down with someone as equals and they tell me why they think what they do and I tell them why I do and we learn from each other. You know, I, I think it's really important to approach things aware of the fact that I don't know everything. <laughs> they may know more than me. And um, that I really want to learn from them. I really want to be a better human being. I really want to learn from other people how to do that. And I think, if you, I think it helps if you approach things like that rather than I'm going to educate you on my superior beliefs. So you better shut up and listen. And I, think, I actually think a really important thing as well is to be honest and real not just about your journey and where you're at, but also about the fact that we don't know everything. We don't know why God does some things. We don't know why some things are the way they are. And rather than kind of blagging and just pretending, but just to be honest and be like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. Um, and again, remembering it's an act of love. It's not because we need everyone to think like us. It's because we have found Mrs. Brown's tea room, if you like. We want to tell them. They want, we want them to enjoy this. Um, not because we need to achieve or conquer something. Zach Eswine said, holding the right position in an argument never justifies betraying the character of Jesus in our manner. I think just remembering that's really important. And most of us have heard of St. Peter, Peter, Simon Peter, um, but he actually heard about Jesus from his brother, I think it was. And so people would tell other people about Jesus. In the book of John, it talks about someone called Philip saying to his friend Nathaniel, we have found Jesus, come and see. And come and see is exactly what we're saying. Come and see for yourself. You know, if someone's interested in what you've been doing on a Sunday morning, you could say, well, come and see for yourself. Or if you, you go to Alpha, which is starting soon, you could say, well, just come and see what it's about. And of course, the most important thing is being able to tell your own story. You know, we can debate about the evidence for the resurrection and theories on suffering, but your story is that it's yours. And it can't really be debated. You might not be an expert on the history of the church, but you are an expert in your own story and on how Jesus has affected you. And there's something incredibly powerful about that, about your story. In First Thessalonians, Paul says, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And in Romans, he says, the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's not just about words. There's something that happens that involves the Holy Spirit. I have no idea what it is. But it's more than just us and our words and our actions. That, and I think that should give us great hope, that there is something massive, unseen, that is happening and uh, we are somehow part of it, which is just so beautiful, despite our flaws and incoherence, that somehow we are part of this enormous, beautiful thing, and it's so exciting to be a part of it. 
And of course, God compels us to pray for others because we love them. His spirit in us compels us to pray. And whenever someone comes to faith or their faith comes alive, it's, I think the general consensus is that someone somewhere has been praying. And I, I honestly, I don't know how it works. <laughs> I don't know how it works or why that is how it is. I know that um, I've had people praying for me. Um, I have a, a minister friend called Neil Glover. He's a minister in the Church of Scotland. He's a beautiful poet and writer. And he was, for several years, the only person uh, affiliated with the church that I trusted with my fragile, volatile faith journey. And um, as well as sending me book recommendations and um, sending me letters and talks to listen to and conversing with me even when I was screaming and swearing at him, he would also pray for me a lot. And he prayed that I would keep pursuing God despite what religion had done to him, that I wouldn't just write him off as what I'd seen, that I would understand that religion and God were two different things and I would keep pursuing God. And he prayed for me, which was very kind of him. I think sometimes we do get um, negative reactions when we share our faith, but it's honestly okay. It's not our job to notch up numbers on the church's doorpost or to bring converts. All we are asked to do is, in gentleness and love, share how Jesus has impacted us. Try to be light and sold. But that is it. What happens after that is, is God's territory. It's nothing to do with us. You just do your part and uh, be part of the exciting thing. Uh, you might remember near the start that I uh, mentioned Patrick, the Glaswegian. And in writing this talk, I, I started to think about him and wonder where he was and what he was doing, if he was happy, probably serving three to five for GBH. But there's this idea that you often hear mentioned that, um, that Christians have something other people want. Maybe it's purpose or joy or identity or they're very well behaved or whatever. Honestly, um, sometimes I have those things, but often I don't. And... Um, there is nothing superior about me than people who aren't Christians. There are many people who aren't Christians who have better identity, better joy, much more well-behaved, don't get stressed or anxious or depressed, whatever. There's nothing about me. I don't have the special thing that I've discovered that they don't, but there is something about Jesus, and that's the thing I keep coming back. There is something about him that is so captivating, that it makes my face turn away just for a second from me and all my mess. He is just so captivating. And what I've got in this faith is this presence that is there, this love that is there, even in the darkest and loudest moments. There is something there, and that is what I hope Patrick has. I don't hope he's become very well behaved or goes to church twice on a Sunday. I hope he's found this captivating, irresistible love. And a, a few months ago, no, not a few months ago, last year, in fact, now, I was, um, I was cycling home from work, and I was coming over um, the Albert Bridge in London. It's beautiful. It's the one with all the lights. And I was concentrating on trying to beat the cars. They're always really close behind you. And so I wasn't seeing anything but the road in front of me. But then I suddenly realized that the cyclists in front of me had all just stopped dead and pulled to the left and so I kind of looked up and there were pedestrians crossing the road to the left and all these cars were slowing down they were winding down their windows 
And, um, and so I looked to my left and there was the most enormous moon. It was really, really bright yellow and it was just hanging in the sky. It was, it was beautiful and of course I stopped because everyone else stopped. And I, I remember I was standing on the bridge and I was, um, I was looking to my left and my right and there were just all these people just staring over the edge of the bridge together. And I was just looking thinking, this is so beautiful. Like, when do you ever see this? Especially with commuters who are always so busy trying to get here and there. And, um, and of course, we were, we were just stunned and stopped by how beautiful this was. It was so unexpected and it was so beautiful and it was so out of the ordinary that we just stopped. And uh, we weren't looking at it critically because it wasn't in symmetry with the shard or we weren't wondering if Pharaoh and Ball do that particular shade of yellow. It was just something guttural in us was reacting to it. I don't know if you've ever had that about something. And of course, because we do what we do, we got our cameras out and tried to take pictures. There's something in us that wants to share what we think is cool with others. And of course, the pictures just didn't do it any justice. It just looked normal size. You couldn't see the proportions. And I remember thinking, oh, this is such a shame. I'll never be able to describe this later. And I thought of specific friends. I thought it's such a shame that Stevie or Leo or Michael or Sarah or whoever isn't here to see this because they would just love this. And I think that that's what Jesus does for me. He is so unexpected and so beautiful and so out of the ordinary that I am stunned and I just stare. And I don't know what to do with it. And then I suddenly think, I just want to show someone this. I want to show someone this. And, and that's what I want to do. I want to call people over to the edge of the bridge. I want to say, look at this. Because I think very few people would see that sight and just go, yeah. I think most would admit it's at least ordinary. And if they could just see him, they would see how staggering he is. And they would experience his love, his love that feels like a warm washcloth gently wiping the mud and blood off your face. Thank you for your time.